Um, so I've been leaning, I mean, had a lot of experiences like this show where, you know, faith becomes present and, um, you know, it's been very, very impactful for me just to witness it all. And, you know, I've been leaning into it more. Well, I will say so, this, Tim, I, I, um, yeah. I, like I, I just mentioned faith is more because a lot of people have faith when you sit in the chair that you're sitting in right now, you have faith in the chair. You don't even think about it, right? You just sit in the chair and you go about your business. You have faith that this recording is going to turn out right. Um, so people have faith. Faith is not an abstract, obscure concept. It's just bringing awareness to it. The key is what do you have faith in? That's really what it boils down to. Um, you know, in our, in, in the podcast earlier where we were talking about, you know, and, and again, I was, uh, I'm, I'm sensitive. Not everybody is, uh, is views life through the lens that I have, but when you come across a hard time and, and you're wondering, okay, is this the time? Like, should I give up? Like, is this, should I give up? I don't want to say that. Is this something I should shelf or table or, or not pursue? Man, I tell you what, that's where faith comes in. And, and it's okay. So what do you have faith in? Do you have faith in the universe, in crystals, in, in my ability to accomplish? Because if somebody truly has faith in their ability to accomplish whatever's set out before them, they're going to continue to hit their head against the wall until they knock themselves out. And then their whole life comes crumbling down. So what is it that you have faith in? Well, for me, I have found that that faith has to reside in Jesus Christ. Uh, and beyond just believing in Jesus, like, okay, yes, there was a man that walked historically. We know that this is the fact there was a man that walked in, in the land of Israel that we know today as modern day Israel named Jesus. Uh, he did miracles. These are documented facts that we have proof of, but what does it mean to actually believe in Christ? Well, to believe in Jesus Christ, it comes down to a personal belief. I can't have that belief for you and, and, and Matt and neither of you can have that belief in, for me. That has to be a personal belief. And then it really dives into, okay, well, then what is this belief about? What does this belief that affects my entire life, what is it really about? Well, you have to go to the nature of man. And unfortunately, this is this answer is the whole reason I was a Green Beret, because I believed in justice. I believed in and I still do believe in justice. And I believe in that there is a right and a wrong and that wrong needs to be punished. And right is the, the correct way to live. Well, we see that lived out on the world stage every single day. Look at Russia and Ukraine, what's happening over there. Look at what's happening between Israel and the Palestine. Look at what's happening to the Christian church down in Africa, where, my goodness, this morning I saw a news where 15 people from some uh, Muslim herds tribe uh, slaughtered 15 Christians. Uh, and they uh, also in the news report, uh, they cut the woman's breast off. Like there are atrocities happening all over the world. So you really have to address is man good or is man evil? My belief and what the Bible says is that man is inherently evil. The, the very, now that doesn't mean that Tim, you're going to go out here and find some guy on the side of the street and you're going to shoot them, right? Like there are things, there's grace that we've been given to where we don't act out on these basic instincts that we have as humans, but the heart of man is wicked. Uh, Jeremiah 19, or excuse me, 17, nine says that the heart is incredibly wicked and deceitful. So we have 
the ability when there's probably a lot of people but that might not like to hear this actually there's a lot of people that don't like to hear this we have the ability all the evil that you see can be performed by us individually we have that capability now whether we act it out or not that's where uh how you were raised you know the pe- the family that you're raised in that's why you see people that were raised in families that completely abused them oh my goodness uh uh reading an article earlier there was a lady that went over to uh syria to fight in isis but she had like she was an american born out of kansas american born woman had a family sexually abused physically abused mentally abused her own children uh to force them to believe in this ideology of radical islam to then go over and fight i mean that's just that's wicked. It's wicked. But the problem is that people think that we're inherently good. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that at the end of the day, it is in man's heart to do everything against God. We want to pursue our own passions, our own desires. What makes me feel good? Look at the culture that we're living in now uh, with everything that's going on in the school systems. It's all about what makes me feel good, what makes me feel safe. If it makes me happy, then I'm okay with it. If it hurts my feelings, if it offends my sensibilities, I'm completely against it. I don't want to hear it. That is the culture that America has developed. And unfortunately, that is really what's going on around the world. And I have to go back to this. That's just the nature of man. And that, that's really hard for a lot of people to hear. But I've seen it personally, up close, in person. That is the nature of man. So what can rescue us from that? Well, that is the shed blood of Christ. That is it. It's not belief in crystals. It's not belief in the universe. It's not belief in a lot of different philosophies. It is the belief that what Christ came to do on the cross 2,000 years ago is that he came to sacrifice his life on the cross for our sins, which is what we're born into. We, we don't have the option. It's not like we were born and all of a sudden you're like, well, I'm going to sin now. No, that was just natural. That was part of us. And so his sacrifice on the cross paid for that debt and it satisfied the wrath of God. And with that satisfied, our simple faith, this is where a lot of religions and faith misses the mark completely. It's okay. You have faith, but now you have to go and do a bunch of things. You have to go and, and, and pray certain amount of prayers, or you have to go and give to the poor. You have to go and do, 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 do. That's, that's not faith. Faith is literally saying I can do nothing on my own. I am dead. Dead men don't do anything. I am dead in my sin. So it literally is the work of Christ on the cross that saves me. Bringing that full circle. How does that apply to business and and what we've been talking about? It's that ability to know that there is a God that loves us, that sacrificed everything for us, and that if we will submit, come underneath his leadership and authority, that there are things that we can't even begin to fathom. I don't know. Everything that I'm doing right now might not, God might very well move me into a completely different direction in next week, next month, next year, 10 years from now. I don't know. And that's honestly the beautiful thing. I don't have to have it all figured out. I can live life studying my Bible, praying, and I can know that my path, my steps are directed by God Almighty. And it is my responsibility simply to be obedient. And so then it becomes a matter of, Okay, what is it that you're calling me next to do? You're calling me to create a course? 
okay, I'm going to create a course. You're calling me to get out and I don't know, open up a car dealership. Well, guess what? That's what I'm going to do. And I know that if he's calling me to do something, that's where that calling came in. If he's calling me to do something and I'm obedient, I will be successful in whatever he's calling me to do because that's what he's called me to do. <laughs> Sorry, totally. God, went off on a tangent there. No, this is, this is great. I've got, I've got oh, some, some ideas it. on how I'd like to, to move and direct this conversation. So one of the things that I know, because I have inside access to Tim's thoughts and with all the time we spend together mm -hmm. on Fridays and this trip we did to Florida recently, I would like you to make this real in the sense that like describe your relationship with God. And, and I want to put some, some prefaces on this. So you mentioned earlier that it was your faith that got you through this real experience with your, with your best buddy's suicide and these other elements. And mm -hmm. talk about the, well, I want, I want to open up a several lines of thought and this might be too many at once, but I'm just going to do it and we can Go tackle ahead. one at a time. Brain dump. You, you have, an experience with evil that is probably like few in this life get to have being in the level of military that you're in. That's just one of my assumptions. It could be wrong. And, and so you have from a young age, an experience with God because your father was walked humbly with the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so you have this benefit of having the, the experience that your father helped you have in, in introducing you to the Lord. So, so that's, that's a muscle you worked over your life and it was strong at the point you hit the military. And then you have this obvious experience with evil. So can you, can you describe one, that element, but, but I would say more importantly for our conversation with, with you, I, and Tim is how has your faith become more real? Because generally the things that take people out of faith is they don't like the fact that there's a lot of evil in the world and how can God allow that such a thing to happen? Yeah. And they don't like the fact that God allows the evils that happen to us via our friends are committing suicide. People are dying. Mm -hmm. Our spouses die. Like all these things happen that are just ridiculously hard to deal with. Yep. Disease. Exactly. So if you can kind of give your perspective, philosophical perspective on you, maybe how you perceive God's will in that way and your experiences with that. But primary question I want to get answered is how has your relationship with God become real to you, particularly when it comes to things like what you've, the hardest things you've experienced in life in the military. So let's address the, the evil in the world and how do I reconcile a faith that I have with what's clearly a reality? Um, how can I believe in a good God when there are women that sexually abuse, physically abuse, mentally abuse their children to then train them to become ISIS operators? I mean, how can I, how can I correct, how can anybody reconcile that? I mean, seriously, come on, Ed. Um, I have to say, man, it, it goes back to, to reading the Bible and the Bible is not a indoctrination book. It is a historically accurate, factual account of the human history of man and God's intervention and supplication into that history of man. The. The fact that there is evil in the world does not negate that there is a fact of that there the fact that there is a good God. Um, the fact that there is evil in the world is indicative of the fact that there has to be a good God. And the reason I say that is explain more. Yeah, yeah. The reason I say that is because 
man, and this this really was a epiphany, actually is a recent epiphany. Uh, I was sitting out on the back porch. I was reading my Bible and um, uh, I, I read off Jeremiah uh, 17, 9, uh, which talks about the, the condition of the human heart. And then in, I believe it's 2 Timothy, which is a book in the New Testament of the Bible, uh, talks about how everything that we, everything that we do is just, it's sinful. It's, it's even the good that we do is not right before a holy, righteous God. And if there is a holy, righteous God, then there has to be punishment for sin because pure white, if I'm wearing a white robe and I get even the smallest speck of dust on me, that robe is no longer white. Whether I can visually see it or not, in reality, it's just, it's no longer white. There is, it, that robe has been tarnished. So if we take that to the level that where God exists, he created us. Literally Genesis 1, 1 says that God created us in his image. He created us, man and woman. So he created us. So the, I hear the argument all the time. Uh, well, why, why did God create us if he knew this was going to happen? Well, because he wanted to have a relationship with us. He created us to be in relationship with him. That's why he created us. Why do you think he, like all powerful, all knowing, mm -hmm. right? Omniscient. Why did he create a world that had this much pain? That is a great question. So there is two lines of thoughts here. There is the line of thought of, well, if God is all knowing and all powerful, why did he create a world where he knew that this was going to happen? And then there's the other line of thought of, well, why did God create us if, uh, you know, and, and he wanted this relationship with us and then we fell into sin. So the, what, again, I, I base my belief on what the Bible says. I do believe number one, uh, because I referenced the Bible so much, I believe that the Bible in its current state in today's age is what God intended to be the word of God. That means I believe it is infallible. It is, uh, there are no errors in it. Uh, there are no contradictions. Whereas people will say that the Bible is, there is no contradictions. The Bible is exactly what God intended it to be for us today. Um, so with that being said, that's how I base everything off of. And when we go back to Genesis, God created us in his image. And there was one reason that God created us. It was for his glory that he created us and he wanted to be in a relationship with us. This is a hard concept to grasp because everything about this life is about us. Everything about this life is about me. From the minute that we come out of the womb, we are completely selfish. We scream, we cry when we're hungry when we're tired, when we're dirty, like a baby is actually the most pure, perfect example of who we are as humans, because it is all about me. Now, some people say, well, that's really harsh, Ed. I mean, a, a baby can't even survive, but it doesn't change the fact. The baby doesn't turn and ask the mom, are you tired? Do, do you need some rest? I'll, I will stop crying for a few hours so that you can get some rest. A baby doesn't say, mom, are your, is your body physically sore because you've been feeding me every day for the past you know, months and months and months? I'll take a break. No, a baby's concern is one thing only, and that is themselves. And babies are cute. I'm not saying that a baby is an ugly creature. It Babies are incredibly adorable. Like they they are the propagation of our, our humanity, right? 
But at the end of the day, if you look at a baby's existence, it is completely selfish. They only care about themselves. Well, you say, well, of course, that's all they can care about. That's all they have. That's exactly my point. That that psychology, that mindset doesn't go away as we get older. It only amplifies. And now we actually have, not only do we have that core, it's all about me. Now it actually is amplified to now I have the means to carry out whatever pleases me. I have the ability to think and, and create situations and, and cognitive abilities to appease me. Um, I have the ability to uh, physically make whatever I want to be a reality to appease me. And so Genesis lays out very clearly that God created us for his glory. And when we were created, Adam and Eve, we were perfect. There was there the what we know today did not exist. It, it literally wasn't existent. And then there was sin that entered the world by Eve and Adam, Adam and Eve, taking that step and saying, you know what? Because Satan asked them um, in Genesis one uh, three. I think at three, seven or three, six, Satan came to Eve and in the form of a serpent, you know, the snake. And he asked, he's like, who told you that you would die? God's not going to kill you if you eat of this fruit. Come on. And so Eve uh, took a bite of whatever that fruit was. Some people say an apple, but it doesn't say. However, Adam did what we call transgressed. So Eve was deceived. She sinned by ignorance. She just she she was being deceived, actively deceived by Satan. However, Adam willingly deceived because that's what she wanted. Like he not not deceived. Yeah. He willingly transgressed. He said, "You know what? God said this. I'm watching my wife do it." A matter of fact, this is what I think. Now, this isn't biblical, but this is what I think. I think Adam was sitting there watching if Eve was going to drop dead. Yeah, she didn't. <laughs> and he was like, "Hey, that snake is right. We're not going to die. Okay, give me some of that." Yeah. That's that's the reason that we have the world that we have today where it's all about me. It, it is it it stems from that. And people will say, "Well, why why did God create all of this then if he knew that was going to happen?" Yeah. Well, he created yeah. this because he wanted to bring glory to himself. And this is a really hard concept is that the entire story of humanity is all about God bringing glory to himself ultimately through the sending of his son, part of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, into this world to live a perfect life, to meet the standard of the law, which the Israel, you know, we know as the Ten Commandments, the Israelites know as the Torah. It's the law of God that says, if you want to be holy and righteous, this is the way that you should live. Well, Christ came and he met that standard. He met no sin in him. And then when he died, that death on the cross was the payment for the wrath of God. So that the wrath, because again, God is a holy, righteous God. There cannot be any sin in front of him. And for him to have us with him in eternity, he's got a problem now. He's got this big gap. He wants to be with us, but because of our sin, he can no longer be with us because he's a holy, righteous God. It, it would violate his character to have sin in his presence. So he is stuck in this situation. I want to be with the man and the woman that I created. But I can't because it would literally violate the very character of who I am. So now I'm stuck with this problem. How do I answer that? That is through the blood of Christ. And the Christ came to satisfy that gap. He came to close that gap to where 
we could be in the presence of God. Not that God could be in our presence. We've got it backwards. It's so that we could be in the presence of God. And that is really, in a nutshell, uh, the story of the gospel. And that is the good news. That's why it's called the gospel. So I want to transition the conversation from philosophical um, and, and doctrinal mm-hmm. to experiential. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I know is so powerful to me being a believer is, is the experiential aspect of the relationship. Yep. Um, in many cases, far more so than the doctrinal. Like I've spent a lot of time reading the Bible, memorizing the Bible, all those types of things. And so I, I like, I could talk with you for days about this type of thing and questions. Let's grab a cigar and do what it. <laughs> let's do it, man, for sure. Um, it, so what I want to dive into is, is how is your faith real to you feeling wise, experientially? And then how has that been a benefit to you in the diff- most difficult times in your life? So Matt, if I can, I'm, I'm going to probably say something that's not popular right now in the Christian circle. And because a lot of in the Christian circle are, is this what I call a therapeutic gospel. It's this desire to have a gospel that, man, that makes me feel great. Like that, that, that makes me feel like life's answers are, or life's questions are answered. Um, I don't believe that that is, is correct. And I believe that the church, meaning the body of Christ, especially in America, and I will say that it is unique to America or any country that does not have the suffering of persecution. Um, the church in America has really gotten lost in this health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, this therapeutic gospel that, well, if you follow Jesus, then your life's going to be perfect. That is completely a fallacy. And I'm not saying that's what you believe, but I hear that when sure. I when I hear somebody say, well, what is the experience? Like, what do you feel about that? Because our, again, going back to Jeremiah 17, 9, and this, again, I go back to that verse because this, and this only happened a few months ago. I'm 40. I just turned 41 last year. Or, oh my goodness. I'll be 42. I'll be 42 in May of uh, 23. So I just turned 41 and it's been maybe right after my birthday. And I was sitting out on the back porch having a cigar and I was reading the Bible and it wasn't that verse. It was a different verse that where Paul is talking about the sinfulness, like everything that I do is just filthy rags before a holy, righteous God. And it hit me that what we, I grew up Southern Baptist and I don't remember ever talking about, and people say, oh, we're not talking about doctrine and theology. Like that's, that's really hard. There was actually a ministry locally that I was involved with. I was on the board. I was the vice president of the ministry and I was voted out of that ministry because of my stance on doctrine and theology, because I, I believe, and I'm looking at the church today, we have abandoned sound biblical doctrine and theology for instead this gospel, this seeker sensitive gospel to where, well, we just want everybody to feel welcome and comfortable. That's not what the gospel is about. The gospel is about revealing our sin, our, our unrighteousness before a holy God at the same time, also saying, but Christ made a way. Christ, it's not me. It's not me giving to the church. It's not me serving on Sunday and going and do a mission trip. It's not me about making these prayers. And it's not me doing, 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 doing. Christ already did that. It's already done on the cross. 
the gospel is me simply placing my faith that what Christ did in the cross was enough. It is through Christ alone, through faith alone, through grace alone, through the scriptures alone, all to the glory of God alone. That's it. That's what the gospel is all about. And we have been captured in America because God's blessed our country. Let's be honest. We have been blessed as a nation. Uh, we have the ability to, I mean, just look at the history of our nation. And so you've got these pastors, and I use that term very loosely, uh, and I'm going to throw out some names. I don't know if either one of you have heard of these pastors, but Joel Olstein, T.D. Jakes, <laughs> um, uh, Creflo Dollar, that's the name of an actual pastor. Uh, you've got, um, oh, there's this one guy. He's just over the top. Uh, Benny Hinn. Uh, so you've got this health and wealth and prosperity. Uh, uh, Furtick, Stephen Furtick from Elevation Church. Mm -hmm. uh, Bill Johnson mm -hmm. from Bethel. You've got, um, I mean, I could go on and on and on about For sure. I call false gospel teachers. Like they, they are not presenting the gospel. They are presenting a false version of the gospel that Joel Olstein live your best life. Now, God, the whole reason God loves us, God, God came for us so that we could have a happy, successful life. And when you hear that message, you're confronted with Tim. I don't know what you've gone through or what you've experienced, but speaking to my own, you hear that message. And then you have a, a buddy of yours that commits suicide and leaves behind a wife and, and, and a little girl. You hear this message and you have somebody in the church that's committing adultery, uh, who's a pastor in a church committing adultery with the secretary. Uh, you hear this message of God loves you. He just wants to, the problem is that we have completely been hoodwinked. We've been bamboozled into this belief that, well, if we believe in, if we believe in a God, well, the life's going to be perfect and glorious and that whatever we do, is just going to be, uh, it's all water under the bridge. I think that that is a fallacy, brother. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not a judge. I don't know what you believe and I don't know what you believe, Matt. But my belief is that we as the church have to get back to a doctrinal foundation of our understanding of the gospel. And it's really about the gospel. That's what it all, that's what it boils down to. It's not what makes me feel good when I go to church or how do I, you know, about again, it's all it becomes about me. This therapeutic gospel that is out there is all about me instead of being biblically focused. Was what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about the gospel? And what does the Bible say about the condition of man? That's really what we have to dive into. Now, I, I say all this, guys, and I get wound up, but this has been a revelation within the last year that, that the Lord has been working on my heart. You had a conversation with me about a year ago, a year and a half ago. I'd be like, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. You know, he loves us. You know, yes, he's got a plan for us. He wants, you know, the best for us. But as I have been intentional, my wife and I, we spend, I mean, my wife is incredible. She'll, she'll spend hours in the morning and she has her own business. She's a wedding photographer, um, but she'll spend hours reading the Bible and just spending that time with God in prayer and, and talking with him through journaling. Uh, actually talking with him. Now he's not talking back like we understand it, but uh, we have been really on a deep dive to understand what is our faith about? I don't want the faith of my mom and dad. I don't want the faith of my grandparents. I don't want the faith that the church, the local church that we attend, I don't want that faith that they say that I need to have. I need to find the faith that I have in, in Christ. And I tell you what, that has been developed and it has been revealed by simply reading the Bible. Um, there are some great pastors, Tim, I want to encourage you 
Uh, there are some great pastors that I would encourage you to just take a look at some of their YouTube videos. Um, one of them is going to be a Vody Bachman. This is a black man that, I mean, he is on fire for the Lord. You want to hear a man that is absolutely sold out for Christ, listen to Vody Bachman. And he is just, man, I'll tell you what, the truth that comes out of his mouth, it just causes your spirit to say, yes, that is truth. V-O-D-D-I-E-B-A-U-C-H-M-A-N, Vody Bachman. Another great pastor uh, that I would encourage you to just, again, watch a few minutes would be Paul Washer. Incredible young man. He has a heart for the people. I mean, matter of fact, he's got some mission field work down in South America. My wife's from Colombia. I met her on one of my uh, trips overseas when I was in Colombia. So I met her on the second time that I was down there. And, uh, and we love listening to Paul Washer. So those are two great pastors that I would highly encourage, or even you, Matt. Um, we watch them. We I'm, I'm very, I'm very familiar. Okay, yeah, you're familiar with both of them. Both of them, yeah, very, very familiar. So, um, I mean, I've been a believer since I was five, um, and so we. I don't want to make this about me because, like, we'll have probably time, hopefully, in the future where we can go go deep on that. W what I would really like to get to, so. We're, we're coming back to doctrine a bunch. And I grew up in non-denominational Southern Baptist churches. I was a youth pastor for eight years in a Southern okay. Baptist church. Okay. Um, I go to a church at Calvary Chapel now. Um, oh, I know Cal Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. Uh, I I'm in Turlock. So we go to Calvary Chapel, Turlock. Okay. Okay. Do you know Pastor yeah. so Jack Hibbs? I, I don't know him personally. No. Yeah. My wife and I listen to him every either Monday or Sunday cool. whenever. Yeah. So sorry. Go ahead. So, so we're, we're in a very doctrinally focused church, you know, sequential preaching, so on and so forth, which I think is a, is a foundation. Um, and so when I, when I talk about feelings, cause we would have very similar alignments on people like Joel Osteen and so on and so forth. Okay. Prosperity gospel. What I believe is like, uh, generally speaking is that, that there, there are feelings that you get as a believer in the midst of a difficult calling. So like, clearly, like if God, for example, wanted us to be happy, first of all, I think he would have made Jesus's life happy, but he right. didn't as, as a direct not. signal. Right. And, the, and there's a lot of biblical scripture in the new Testament yep. that, that tells us that we're not created here for the sole purpose of happiness. Yep. Yet, you know, there, there's, there's certain feelings that happen in a storm. And I would imagine that Jesus had particular levels of peace or comfort. I mean, there was the point where he's bleeding, you know, yep. uh, he's having blood from the stress and all that kind of stuff. But the, uh, that's really what I'm driving at here with this question is in the most difficult elements of time, like what is it that a believer gets? What's the value and the benefit that a believer gets in the midst of struggle that a non-believer doesn't? Oh man, I'll tell you what, peace. And it's a peace that passes all understanding. It's a peace that you can't, you cannot quantify. And that's, what's really hard is to try to quantify or explain this peace that you get. Um, I've experienced it many times, uh, especially on the battlefield, uh, where, um, there was this moment, matter of fact, uh, a little story, um, I, my second tour to uh, Iraq was in Ramadi, uh, Iraq, which was, if you ever watched the movie, um, American Sniper, 
with Chris Kyle. He was in Ramadi 2006. I was in Ramadi 2006. Now, I wasn't a SEAL team. I wasn't even a Green Beret. I was just in the regular army. But I was there. I experienced a lot of what is in that movie. Um, I've even got some video of uh, one of our platoons, the, the building that they were staying in in Overwatch completely gets obliterated by this massive dump truck loaded up with TNT and explosive. I mean, the, the explosion was huge. Um, we lost a lot of guys on that trip, regular army guys, good guys, good guys, but we lost a lot of guys on that trip. And I will have to say that the peace that comes from following Christ in full submission, it's very hard to put it into words. But in this case, um, we, after that event, after the explosion, uh, we were going out and doing a clearing operation. And I was with third infantry division, which is a Bradley component. So we have these big metal mini tanks, if you will. And the, the back door, the back side of the Bradley lowers and raises, it's this big ramp, right? And so it lowers and you can fit guys. We all run inside, sit down, and then the ramp uh, raises back up. So mechanized, they have a 25 millimeter gun on the, on the turret, along with a 200, uh, 240 Bravo and 240 Charlie. I mean, it's a, it's a, beast of a, a machine so we're in there we go out we go into downtown ramadi we're around this water tower and it's it's a circle and um and so we get out we dismount and get out of the back of the bradleys and we're standing uh we're, we're pulling security which is you're given a direction that you've got to watch out for bad guys but nothing outside that direction so you're not looking over here looking at the birds and the bees you're not looking at this building over here you're literally like this is your lane, your left and right limit. And that's all you look at. So we're, I'm pulling security down this road and, um, all of a sudden on another road. So we're in this circle and I'm on one of the legs. I'm looking down a road on one of the legs. I've got a, a mini machine gun, a two, four, nine. Um, and so I'm pulling security down this road and on one of the other roads, there was some activity and it came over the radio that they had an RPG and that we needed to mount back up so that we could go down there and clear out, I guess, a building that had some activity in it. And so we go ahead and get in the back of the Bradley. So we're all running in and, you know, the, the other Bradley down that one road has already started to shoot. And it's got this boom, 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 boom type sound. And uh, we're starting to receive fire from down that road. So it's like, hey, it's time to get into action, boys. And so we get on, we get in the Bradley. And as it's raising up, the back of the, the ramp has these portholes. And we call it portholes, sort of like the Navy. And it's, uh, uh, you, you've got the ability to look in like a little telescope. And you actually have visibility behind you on this solid steel door that's like seven inches deep. And... And I'm looking out and I'm looking at the, literally the spot where I was at. And it, I, I re very vividly remember seeing the, the tile on the sidewalk and the little concrete uh, ditch or the concrete curb that, you know, you've got the tile almost like here in the States and you got that curb and then it's, you know, the pavement. I remember seeing that tile just bulge up right where I was standing. I was literally standing on top of this massive, uh, we call them cheese wheels. It's, it's basically a TNT, looks like a giant cheese wheel from Italy. and But it's all TNT dynamite. This massive cheese wheel that, that 
the sidewalk lifted up and then just massive explosion happened. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh my goodness, that literally could have been me. I was literally standing on top of that. And I had tons of those type of experiences on that trip and a lot of others. But there was something about having this comfort, being a follower of Christ, knowing that if I die, and this is really where the peace comes from. If I die, I know exactly where I'm going. And I'm going to heaven because of what Christ did on the cross and because of my trust and faith in him and him alone. That's it. And so that peace allowed me to operate in such a way with really an otherworldly approach to the danger and, and everything around it and transfer that to, to now where I'm not in that danger, but there's this business. There's just this peace that I'm on the calling that God's had that God has me for right now. And, and honestly, this goes back to in the podcast where we were talking about what happens when everything's coming against us. And there's like, man, I'm pushing my, I'm beating my head against the wall. And there's, I'm trying to do these things and deals are falling through and people are quitting and I'm getting sued. And I mean, all these things, how can somebody continue to press on? When do you know is enough enough? Well, it comes down to your calling. Who are you following? Because I'm following after Christ and I've got this peace. As long as that peace, I don't hear an audible voice, Edwin Epperson, please go and do this, right? I don't hear that from the ceiling or I don't have rays of light coming down. I'm like, oh my God, yes, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. But I have this peace. And when that peace is there, I know that I'm, I'm, I'm doing what God's called me to do. When that peace is not there, man, you feel lost at sea. It's like, okay, I need to get myself realigned. I need to spend time in the, in the word. I need to spend time in prayer. I need to fast. I need to cut off certain things in my life for a period of time so that I can hear where's God's peace leading me to. Cause then when I find that, Oh, that's where I know I need to go. Um, how would you describe peace? If, if someone had never had peace, Oh man, you got some good questions, Matt. <laughs> How would I so, describe? And I'll, I'll, I'll let you think about it as I give yeah. you some context. I am a very intuitive person. So I, like if you look at human psychology, some some psychometricians will, will anal you know, analyze it like there's heart people, mm -hmm. then there's intuitive people, and then there's mind people. And so naturally, I like to operate in the intuitive field, which I think makes me super enjoying of these types of conversations because I get to act on the fly. I get to act on my intuitive okay. senses. All right. Other people act very differently. They like to be thought out and process oriented and so on and so forth. So one of the challenges that I have in trying to be an outside observer of the Christian that's walking through life is, is you have churches and you see it. The church almost aligns itself to one of those three institutions of, of the human experience. The doctrinally heavy churches, and I don't mean heavy in a bad way, I just mean heavy in the sense that there is a lack of the other elements of the human experience, mm -hmm. are very good at defining a lot of times what, what tends to be very important, sound, biblical principle. And then you have churches maybe more like their Pentecostal churches and those types of churches, which maybe capture a lot more of the experience that God would want us to have inside of our bodies. Not that it's prosperity. That's the good thing, but it's the feelings that you get to have inside of a, of a deep relationship with God it is one of the challenges that I had that's actually led me to a lot of different thoughts. I have not abandoned doctrine at all, but yet 
like, okay, let me give you a completely like random example. Sorry, my ADD myself is going to kick in. But like you look at <laughs> politics, right? And you look at conservatives. I think generally conservatives do a very poor job in connecting to the feelings and emotions of people. And so a lot of people who decide not to be conservative politically do so on the basis of a, of a lack of connection to the, not necessarily the conservative thought, but to the lack of conservative feeling. Uh -huh. And then, and vice versa, I think generally the more liberal perspective in politics does a very poor job in addressing the, the rational element, you know, the, what conservatives do well, right? Which is how we're going to pay for this and all these types of logical not to say that liberals aren't logical or that conservatives don't have feelings, but I think it's it's a really a lack of expression of those things. So one of the one of the concerns that I have for the church is that I, I do believe in general those churches, like the one I attend, that are more focused on doctrine, which I believe is a paramount pillar of the faith, do a pretty poor job in either understanding or describing the rest of it for people who they themselves are not as naturally aligned to that sort of thinking. Um, and so that's, that's really like a mission that I want to go down in life. Um, Such is, as, can you give me an example of where you feel the conservative church does not give ample room for feelings or emotions or of, of others? Okay. So yeah. So let's differentiate. So I think what you just said is a little bit different than what I'm saying. I don't think, I'm not saying that conservatives don't take the count to the feelings of others. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I don't feel like they adequately place and express emotions very well. And as a result, it, it makes it harder to bridge the experience for those that think in those, in those ways. So for example, like just in working with Tim and connecting with Tim over these last couple of years, like Tim is much more of somebody who interprets and receives information from an emotional point. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's why I'm driving so hard at this multiple in multiple ways to like, how do you explain the experience? Because your experience as a conservative doctrinally focused Christian will be different emotionally than the one who goes to a Joel Osteen church. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important that Tim, us, everybody is able to tap into that value mm -hmm. and be able to express it because I can relate to you on such an insanely deep level of what peace feels like. And it's so hard to describe. Um, it's maybe almost easier to describe it in the lack of things that happen when you don't have it than it is to describe the feeling yeah. when you do have it. Um, but yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I, I think I, I tend to be more on the intuitive, but more on just the logical side. That's how my brain and, and my mind work and, and naturally how my heart uh, works, um, and what speaks like what I hear and, and how I process things. Um, I will say though, I'm not, it, so I struggled with, so I didn't always live the, 
good Christian life. So I, right. you know, I, I think I came to an understanding of, of Christ being like, I'm a sinner. I need, I need forgiveness and, and covering of my sin through the blood of Christ. I came to that understanding around seven, but I don't think it really set in until I was in the military. Um, I'm divorced. So I had actually saved myself for marriage. I, I was a virgin when I got married. I got married at the age of 22 after my first, or uh, yeah, at the age of 22, uh, after I came back from my first trip to Iraq, which was the invasion of Iraq in 2003. Uh, so 2004, I get married. Um, and I had a, I saved myself for marriage. So because what I grew up in the church was, hey, don't have sex before marriage, save yourself for marriage, and then God will bless your marriage. You'll have a great marriage. Now, as a man... There is only one thought on my mind. Like, I want to have a great <laughs> sex life, right? Like, that's it. Like, right. I want to have the best sex possible. Like, this is like, I, that's the reason I'm saving myself for marriage. It wasn't for right. honoring God or, or honoring anything else. If that was it. It was like, I want to have this awesome sex life. So that's the whole reason, honestly, that I got married. Um, I was at a point, I was 22. I'd gone to war. I was like, this is bad. I don't want to die a virgin. Uh, but I also don't want to violate God's law. So I'm going to get married. And guess what? This, uh, this, uh, my ex-wife was, I met her at church. So I checked all the blocks, right? I was like, met her at church. Uh, we both attend church. We both come from Christian homes. Um, like all the blocks were checked. So I was like, man, that, like, of course, this is who, who I'm supposed to marry. And, uh, so we married and I had a, had a, and I, I need to be careful because I don't know how many, how far this podcast reaches out, like as far as, because I know you've got about a, a thousand and some odd in the Facebook, but let, let's say the whole, for my intent for being married, and it's interesting, I was actually having a conversation with my wife now about this this morning. The entire intent of why I married, I was miserable. I had a horrible marriage. And then on top of that, I you know, there was no deep conversations. We couldn't really talk about anything spiritual. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm not the judge. I'm not going to say whether Tim, you're a Christian, whether Matt, you're a Christian, whether you're not a Christian, I'm not that judge. I can look at the fruit of someone's life and say, okay, are they walking with Jesus or not? I, I can't say that she was, but to be honest, I wasn't either. And so over the course of eight years, going into the time that I was going through special forces, uh, I started to walk away from the Lord. And, um, the piece that I had in that rotation to Ramadi, Iraq, when I got into special forces, I did not have that piece. Now I, I don't believe you can lose your salvation. Uh, God is the one that saves us. He's the one that elects us. He saves us and he keeps us. Uh, it is not up to our decision, whether we can walk away If we're his, he's going to keep us to the end. Uh, the question is, of course, those who have walked away, well, were they really saved to begin with? But that's a different topic for another day. My emotional state and, and really what I felt, I felt that lack of peace, meaning there was this foreboding sense that if I were to die, something were to happen and I were to die, I don't know where I would go. Like, I don't know what I would say standing before God being holy and righteous, what I would say based on where my life, and let me go a little bit further, Tim, and explain like, so I cheated on my first wife when I went to Columbia the first time, come back. Uh, uh, I made a, 
uh, deal with God, which don't do because he will call your bluff. I said, God, you know, if she asked me if I cheated on her, then I'll tell her. But I'm, my my ninja skills are on point. Like she won't ask. Two days after I get back to the state, she asked. And so I was confronted with, well, am I going to, it was almost like God was saying, well, you clearly don't keep your vows and honor your, your wife. So are you going to keep your vow with me? And I was like, oh, I don't want to not. So I confessed and I told her and we ended up going to counseling. But at that point, my mind was checked out. And this is a whole different story of spiritually where I was at. But I started to go down a path of self-destruction. I literally went back to that mindset of I saved myself all those years. Well, now I'm just going to live it up. I was going, I was literally drinking myself into a stupor, guys. Almost, what, seven days in, in a week? Six days out of the week, I was drinking myself into a stupor. Um, and when we, when I got into special forces, then I'm surrounded by a bunch of guys, which God love them, you know, hard, hard charging. I mean, if you're going to go into combat, you want a special ops guy next to you. Like you want somebody to get your back. But as far as morally and spiritually and, and ethically speaking, I mean, uh, not ethically, but morally speaking, these guys had the philosophy of play hard, work hard. When you're at home, you do your thing, you know, you be the good, good American serviceman. But when you go overseas or you go somewhere else out of town, it's like yeah, balls to the wall. And so that whole mindset and that party attitude in that I'm just going to live life on my terms, really speaking to that nature that is inside of us, man, I was... I was living it up, right? According to the world standards. But man, when you go to combat, when you're in a situation where life is punching you in the face, like Mike Tyson says, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face, right? When life starts to punch you in the face, there's this, man, and I, I don't know how to, man, it's such a good question. Like, how do you explain peace? I don't know how to explain it, but I, I know the feeling of this foreboding despair sorry i'm not familiar with the term foreboding <laughs> this, uh, this this uh this feeling of of this presence of you know it, it's going to happen but you don't know when it's going to happen but you know that you know that you know that it's going to happen so like the sunrise warm the blanket what's that it, warm blanket type feeling no, no, or this is like is it encompassing fear like this fear this oh, foreboding fear. um foreboding is this fear, uh, unexplainable fear and not maybe tangible. So it's not like you can see the bad guy with the gun pointed at you, but you, you get this feeling of there's this guy with this gun pointed at me and I don't know where he's at. Like I, but I just get that. Like, I feel that my, like my life is on the line. That's how I was living those past few years that I was in the military and, and being in SF where we're going out knocking on doors and, and taking it to the enemy. It wasn't like a very passive role it was a very aggressive role man i i felt more fear for my life not in the fact of i'm gonna die because clearly that was that was evident people are dying all around us but this what happens when i die like when i die what's gonna happen and it was that fear of not and, and this is because i i knew i know what truth is i know what happens at the end like we don't just disappear and become worms in the dirt we're going to stand before God. We're going to stand before him and we're going to be accountable for everything in our life. So this fear because of the way that I was living my life, this over just overcoming fear was just constantly present. Um, and the peace was reinstated or reprovided by his grace and mercy 
when I started to realize that the way I was living was completely contrary to way to the way that God had called me to live and what is written in his Bible. That's why I'm a big believer in doctrine and theology is because when we understand doctrine, we understand the way that we're supposed to be living. It might not be culturally appropriate. It might not be culturally right. It might be completely counterculture. But when you're living according to the way that God is laid out in the Bible, then there's this peace. There's this, you know what? It doesn't matter what happens to me. I know that when I die, I'm going to stand before God, but I am, I am, I am, I am made righteous. That's called propitiation. I am made righteous through the blood of Christ and my justification, meaning that Christ's blood justifies me because he took my sin on, on his, on his shoulders and on that cross, man, I tell you what, like, it, again, it's this peace. I, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how to explain it. I'm probably not doing a good job, but there is this. And it, well, it appears to me for, as an outside observer that the peace is, is a lack of fear. Yeah, so, but, the okay, worst so, that you're... but you say that, but it's not just a lack of fear. It's, it's more of an eternal fear. And there is a difference because there are guys that I served with that were, had no fear, absolutely no fear. Like those dudes were monsters but they were lost. They were completely lost as far as spiritually, uh, as far as the relationship with Christ. And as far as I know, if they were to die in that state and they stand before a holy, righteous God, they're not going to heaven. So it goes beyond just not having fear because again, I've met guys that have no fear. Like they would, they would charge hell with the water pistol. The problem is that in the realm of eternity, they were not right. They were not made right. Um, and they weren't living in a life that was honoring to God. So peace for you then is a combination. I'm going to keep rephrasing until you're like, okay, I like this one. Okay. So peace then is a lack of fear combined with an absolute eternal certainty. Yes. Yeah. There you go. And it's hard to explain to somebody who has never experienced the peace before, because until you've experienced that peace of placing, recognizing, number one, recognizing that, that you individually are a sinner. It's easy to point out everybody else's sins, right? Whether you even want to call them sins or not, everybody else's faults. It's easy to point that. But when you recognize that you are at fault from the, everything you do is at fault. And then you recognize that it is Christ's sacrifice on the cross that can cover your fault with his blood. It is covered. And your, your condemnation, the wrath that is placed on us because of that sin is transferred to Christ. He took that on the cross. That's what he did on the cross. And then his righteousness is imputed to us so that when we die, we stand before God and God doesn't see us in our sin. He doesn't see a dead man. He sees his son. Man, I tell you what, until that happens, that's what is so hard because we're dead in our sins and transgressions. Like dead men don't do anything. Dead men don't answer doors. Dead men don't respond. Dead men don't, do, they're dead. They're, I've physically seen it. Dead men don't do anything. So we're dead in our sins. That's what the Bible says. We're dead in our sins. We cannot even respond. Dead men don't respond. And so when we are resurrected, that miracle that happens in rebirth, that resurrection, Man, I tell you what, it's it's incredibly powerful, and it's also very hard to describe to a dead man this peace, this this spiritual alive that happens when you are no longer dead, because it's 
a dead man doesn't know. And honestly, it goes back to that has to be a work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. It has to be a work of the, yeah. of God in their life. Um, Probably similar to a way that someone's experienced drugs yep. would have knowledge of things that someone who has not yep. would not. Ed, that is a perfect example. I mean, you can explain it. You can try to, well, it's like this. It's like that. And that can help somebody like me, like, okay, it's like this. It's like that. Okay. Well, I can understand what it's like, but do I really understand what it is? No. And, and it's very hard to explain the life and that peace that sir, it literally that's biblical. It surpasses all understanding. I it's, it's impossible to understand until you've experienced it. And that's really where the faith comes in, right? It's that we live by faith, not by sight approach. Wow. Cool. Well, thank you. Um, I know like it's a lot easier sitting on my side than your side. I'm just asking questions. So. No shit. <laughs> so thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome, Matt.